0: All right, let's open up our Bibles this morning. We're studying through the life of David in the book of 1 Samuel. We find ourselves in 1 Samuel. Our text is 24, chapter 24, verses 1 through 22. The topic we're going to find there, Saul steps into a cave to go to the bathroom and nearly gets waylaid by David and his men who were hiding there. And so the title of our message is He Came Into the Bathroom Waylay. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you so much for your word. We thank you ahead of time because we know that it is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide between the soul and the spirit. It's going to speak to us this morning, Lord. I just pray that uh, we would have ears to hear. And the things that you whisper to us about your love and grace and mercy, your acceptance and forgiveness, Lord, that we take them to heart, apply them to our own lives and into the lives of others. Father, I pray that if there's anybody here that doesn't really know you, they've never asked you to save them. They've never been born again. Maybe they're religious. Maybe they've gone to church their whole life. Uh, Only, you know, the heart, Lord, but you can reveal that to them and you can show them that they're not they're not really saved. And that they need to come into a saving relationship with you they're trusting in something for their righteousness that isn't the righteousness of christ that is uh, given to us when we believe i pray lord for that person or those people that they would come to know you and that they would acknowledge the same today use your word for that lord as well as grounding your saints uh, in doctrine and uh, teaching us your ways and now Help and guide me, Lord, as I attempt to make some comments on what is already perfect, your word. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And all those who agreed said, amen. Have you ever thought about how many everyday English phrases and idioms actually come from the Bible? Well, let me give you just a few examples. There's dozens, perhaps even hundreds. A drop in the bucket comes from Isaiah 40, verse 15. Behold, the nations are a drop in a bucket. At their wits' end comes from Psalm 107:27, they reel to and fro and are at their wits' end. The blind, leading the blind, comes from Matthew 15:14. "They are blind leaders of the blind." I see another very common expression having its origins in our text in First Samuel. We all know what it means to cut corners. It means to do something in the easiest, quickest. Cheapest way, often affecting the quality of the finished product. It's how I work around my house. No, I'm just kidding. Well, I wish I was. In our text, we will see David and his men hiding in a cave when Saul and his men come by seeking to kill them. Saul goes into the cave alone to relieve himself. It seems to be a golden opportunity for David to be rid of his enemy and become king All he had to do was murder Saul or order his men to murder him. David instead goes to the robe Saul had laid aside and cuts the corner off of it. David does not kill Saul. He restrains his men from killing Saul and he feels genuine remorse at cutting the corner of Saul's garment. Why? Because he realizes you cannot cut corners when it comes to God's plan for your life. Murdering the reigning king was not a shortcut to the throne that could in any way, by any stretch of the imagination, honor God. It was a quick, easy, cheap way of ascending to power that would have negatively affected David as God's finished product, as the man of God. David may have literally cut the corner of Saul's robe, but spiritually speaking, he refused to take the shortcut. If David, the man after God's own heart, was tempted to cut corners, then I can only assume you and I will be also. We, too, want to refuse to take those shortcuts. I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, cutting corners is not God's way of growing you. And number two, not cutting corners is your way of showing God. Let's take a look, first of all, in verses 1 through 7. Cutting corners is not God's way of growing you. Survey the men and women of the Bible and you'll invariably see that God is in no hurry to develop them. Moses immediately comes to mind. Before Moses is even born, hundreds of years of of cruelty and bondage are taking place uh, in the nation of Israel. The people are crying out and and the Lord says, okay, I'm going to deliver you, but it starts with a baby. And then 40 years go by, before anything really happens. And then Moses decides he is the deliverer of Israel. He thought he was ready to lead the children out of Egypt. His play? Kill an Egyptian. Well, that didn't work out too well, and as a result he had to flee into the desert, where for 40 years God taught him how to be a shepherd, so that when it was God's time, Moses could shepherd the Jews Out of Egypt. And so no matter who you look at, you have to understand God is busy making men and women of God while He is using them to minister and to serve and He's not in a hurry. Saul enters a cave seeking some privacy to relieve himself. He lays aside his kingly robe. Little does he know it's the very cave within which David and his men happen to be hiding from him. Saul has got, he's not only a terrible spear thrower, he has the worst intelligence and the, mo, the most awful military instincts of anybody in Scripture. I mean, what are the odds, really, that he goes into this cave? Well, it's God's providence, of course. And so in verse 1, Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave. And Saul went in to attend to his needs. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Now, as I said, on the surface, this seems to be a golden opportunity to be rid of Saul. But God's saints are not to look only on the surface. Circumstances by themselves are not enough To determine God's will, we need His Word and the leading of His Spirit to interpret our circumstances. Jonah comes to mind. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah says, I'm going the other way. He goes down and he happens to find a boat going in the opposite direction. Circumstance? God's leading? Well, no, he would find out that he also found a fish coming his direction. And so we can't interpret circumstances uh, as always being valid and reliable, we need to interpret them through the scripture, what we already know to be true. Verse four, then the men of David said to him, this is the day of which the Lord has said to you, behold, I will deliver your enemy to your hand that you may do to him as it seems good to you. David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Of course, I'm hoping they were whispering, uh, when they did this. There's a lot of conversation between David and his men while Saul is in there. So either Saul was hard of hearing, which is possible since he was old, or they whispered. Maybe they even passed notes. Who knows? When exactly did the Lord say anything like this to David? Well, we have no record of this, and it doesn't sound like something that the Lord would say. I think this is their interpretation of the fact God had anointed David to be the next king. That being the case, they figured what a lot of times we figure, the end justifies the means. What they were suggesting was an assassination. It was murder. And so they knew David was anointed to be the king. That was clear. Samuel had done that some years earlier, and now it was pretty common knowledge. But there wasn't any real clear plan, uh, God hadn't revealed how that was going to take place, and so they were interpreting different ways that might take place. And now, this opportunity supposedly presents itself, and they think, well, God must intend for you to kill Saul and take the throne. David's men must have been excited when their fearless leader arose with sword in hand, Their exile would be over. They would ascend with David to the throne. They'd put everything right. It would be a golden age for Israel. But wait, what was he doing? Cutting off a corner of the robe over here. David! Saul's over there! Maybe he, you know, maybe he lost track. It was dark in the cave and he thought it was Saul. I mean, imagine their confusion. And so in verse 5, now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. Saul was a terrible king. God had sent an evil spirit to trouble him. He was bent on finding David and killing him. Nevertheless, David could say that Saul was the Lord's anointed. He had... Respect for the office of king. God had given him that position and it would be up to God to remove him. Open rebellion and murder could not in any way honor God. We must be committed to interpreting our circumstances by the word of God and not vice versa. If I allow my circumstances to interpret God's word I'm going to get in all kinds of spiritual trouble. Now, the truth is, we, you know it can be difficult sometimes to determine God's will. There are such things as open doors and closed doors and circumstances are not inconsequential. But so often, people will interpret a circumstance as God's will when in reality, if you think about it, That can't be God's will because it's contrary to the scripture. I don't know how many times, sadly, really sadly, in marriage counseling over the years, I've had somebody tell me that they have fallen in love with someone that's not their husband or their wife, and that must be God's will because now their heart is in love with this other person that you know, God put them together with at their place of business or at the gym or in church or wherever. And you have to think, you know, are we really going to interpret our circumstances that way? Because the word of God says this about marriage and you're just in sin. And so we have to be very careful about circumstances. Now, I should mention that this phrase, the Lord's anointed, It's not a magic spiritual shield to protect leaders in God's church if they are sinning. It's used that way sometimes. What David was referring to was the office of the king, which was pretty much a dictatorship in those days. The offices of leadership in the New Testament in the church, they're not like that. And so while we should have respect for one another, be submitted to one another, where we should have respect for offices of leadership in the church, and be careful about that. Uh, if somebody is sinning, they need to be dealt with. They need to be approached and dealt with just like any other Christian. Uh, and so often when I'm, I read things about different people, they say, well, touch not the Lord's anointed. Well, uh, yeah, that, that, you know, that's not the proper application of those words. Uh, let's just do what the Bible says. Now, David showed remarkable restraint in not killing Saul But even more remarkable was that he was able to restrain his men. So David restrained his servants, verse 7, with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. Saul was the first king of Israel. He'd been chosen because the Jews wanted to be like the other nations and have a king. But in those other nations, in their cultures... Succeeding to the throne by murder and intrigue was common and often even accepted. God's kingdom has a different set of rules, a different mindset. We must be careful to not allow our culture to influence our thinking about how we conduct ourselves as citizens in the kingdom of God. Whether we live in a democracy or a monarchy, under communism or a dictatorship, Our character as Christians who are citizens of God's kingdom is to be the same. And so whatever form of government you're under, you can't say, well, this is what the world does, so therefore I can do it too. That's my culture. We have to stand above that and say, no, I'm a citizen of heaven. How do I approach these issues? David said, well, I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm a child of God. And even though I am anointed to be king... And Saul is a terrible king and he's abdicated his position, as it were, and God has sent an evil spirit against him. And even though he is trying to murder me, I'm going to have to leave that with God. God anointed him. He anointed me. None of that's my business. David, Saul's trying to kill you. Then I will continue to flee, but I will not assassinate him. He would have to go on struggling and suffering until God made his move. Now, we would say they would have to go on growing in the Lord, in the understanding of his heart and of his ways. The shortcut offered to them would get them the robe. It would get them the outward trappings of the kingdom, but it would not prepare their hearts for serving in the kingdom. I don't know that we can really imagine this. It's all speculation, obviously, but I mentioned Moses earlier. Imagine that Moses... He's 40 years old. He decides he's the deliverer. His first uh, action, really, in this mindset is uh, to murder an Egyptian and hide the body. What if Moses had taken over at that moment and gone against Pharaoh? Would that have been a much different confrontation, do you think, than 40 years later when Moses emerges from the desert, the most humble man on the face of the earth? The staff of God in his hand, ruling nature, showing God's testimony. Uh, Moses, I'd say, on one level, he would not have made it with those people. He would have been killing them after a short period of time instead of praying for them. He wouldn't have any idea that they were the sheep of God's hand and that he was their shepherd. And so it's very important that we don't circumvent these issues and take spiritual shortcuts. Now, look at Saul. He laid aside the robe so as to not soil it when he relieved himself, but he was soiling it every day by seeking to murder David. It's too easy to think only in terms of the outward when God is working on the inner person of the heart. And so the lesson here in these first seven verses, beware of spiritual shortcuts. Let God have his perfect work in your waiting, in your struggling, in your suffering. Developing Christian character is more important than achieving an outward goal using the wrong means. Verses eight through 22, not cutting corners is your way of showing God. David cut the corner of Saul's robe, but in his heart and by his actions, it's clear he refused to cut corners and ascend to the throne by the wrong means. As a result, he was able to show God. We've already seen him show God to his men. Now in the remaining verses, he shows God to his enemy. Verse 8, David also arose afterward, went out of the cave and called to Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks you harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave, and someone urged me to kill you. But my eyes spared you, and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for He is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see... Yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you. Yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. Now, suppose for the sake of comparison that David or his men had murdered Saul. What kind of a testimony would he have had as Israel's king? What conclusions would people, both Jews and Gentiles, draw about the nature and the character of God? When we act and react out among people, we are representing God. We are the Bible people read. It's humbling. It doesn't mean we need to be perfect because that's not possible. It does mean we must yield to the indwelling Spirit of God and not give in to our habitual fleshly impulses. Verse 14, after whom has the King of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? Therefore, let the Lord be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. Now, David is pointing out to Saul that his actions were beneath the dignity of his office. His priorities were out of whack. It was as if someone came to him and said, there's a dead dog harboring a flea. And Saul marshaled all the resources of the kingdom to find it and kill it. Who cares? What harm could a single flea do to a dead dog? Even if you're an animal lover, you don't care about that. I mean, you, you care if your dogs have fleas, you don't want them to suffer, or at least you don't want the fleas in your house. Dead dog with fleas? So what? Well, now the positions, or we might say the roles that we occupy as Christians, they have priorities. Men and women are told how to act in the body of Christ. There are passages about old men and young men, older women, younger women, and widows. Husbands and wives have roles and responsibilities in a biblical family. So do parents and children. So do employers and employees. When our priorities in any of those roles cease to be spiritual, we're like people searching for dead dogs with single fleas rather than seeking the Lord for His help and strength with what we're called to be doing. In other words, our actions are just as ridiculous as were Saul's. We probably wouldn't use that same metaphor, but a lot of times people, I mean, you look at them, You've known them. You and I have been them. Something is just out of whack. Our priorities are gone. We don't want to address what we need to address. And so we fill our lives with something over here. And people are scratching their heads saying, don't you see you're losing your marriage? You're losing your children. And all you care about is some dead dog with a flea on it over here. It's important in its own right, but it's not as important as this primary thing. Verse 16, so it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and he wept. And then he said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me, for when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore, swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. God was shown to Saul through David. Only a man walking with God Filled with the word of God, knowing the ways of God, would have acted the way David did. This teaches me that God purposely puts me in circumstances that will give me opportunity to show him to others. But since what needs to be shown are things like grace and mercy and love and peace and forgiveness and gentleness and kindness and the like those circumstances are going to be tough on me at times. The people to whom God wants to be shown those things are like Saul. They are fleshly, pursuing their own agendas. They think themselves righteous when they have no righteousness. And so God puts you in a position where they understand they would commit murder while you are committed to God. If you're going to show someone the mercy of God, then you need to be in a position to not give them what they deserve. You need to be mistreated by them, overlooked by them, insulted by them. Otherwise, how can your reaction be merciful? How can you show mercy to somebody who is treating you great? It's impossible. May, you know, you're in a great relationship. People don't turn to you and say, you know, that was really merciful of you. What are you talking about? In order to show mercy or forgiveness, let's take forgiveness. Somebody has to sin against you, don't they? For you to show forgiveness. For you to be able to say, I forgive you. They have to offend you. They have to do something. Now, I'm not promoting the offenses. But God's saying, this is, this is it. This is what I have to do. I want to show myself. I'm unlike the gods of this world. I'm unlike any man-made god or any idol. Can man by searching even find me out? The answer is no. I've revealed my power in creation, but I have to reveal my character in a different way or no one would figure it out. And so I've done that through Jesus Christ, and now I'm going to do it through you. And so it requires that you be in this situation. And what's called for, spiritually speaking, is mercy, is forgiveness. And when you show that, when you bring that forth, people who are like Saul, who don't deserve to be your boss, they don't deserve to be anything over you, they're self-righteous, unrighteous, uh, murderous type people... Maybe even for a moment they are stunned because God has broken through into their reality and they see something in you and through you that they can't see any other way. Anybody can return evil for evil. That's easy. But to return good for evil, to love our enemies and do good to them shows people the nature and character of God. Jesus left heaven. He came to earth. He showed us God. Then he died on the cross, taking our place, taking your place. He took upon himself your sins and he offers you his righteousness. It's the only transaction by which anyone can get to heaven. All you must do is believe. It's not easy to believe. You must admit your need, admit you are a sinner. But when you do, you are saved. You are born again. Have you done that? Most of you have. I know you, but some of you perhaps have not. And so verse 22, David swore to Saul and Saul went home. David and his men went to the stronghold. After this encounter, there was a temporary halt to hostilities. But before long, Saul returned to hunting David, trying to kill him. Was David therefore naive or foolish in his actions? Of course not. Our part is to represent and reveal God. That is what we are about as his servants. That is what we will be rewarded for when we see the Lord. The reactions of those God is testifying to through us, that's their personal responsibility before him. We believe that Jesus' death on the cross is uh, sufficient for the sins of the whole world. Was he naive or foolish because some people don't get saved? No. No. It's not effective for them because they don't believe, but Jesus was revealing the heart of God who is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. Sure, it's discouraging for us when we show God, especially through suffering, and the people don't get saved. In fact, sometimes they don't even change. They come after us with an even greater vigor. But again, that's not our responsibility you're going to be in circumstances that are unpleasant, to say the least. Most of the time, there will be a shortcut out of them. It's one that you can almost justify. But if you're careful to analyze the shortcut, you're going to see that it's carnal, it's fleshly, it's not spiritual. You'll see that instead of showing God to the people watching you, it brings you down to them. It makes you like them. Don't cut corners. Ask God to fill you so you can overflow with his grace, his mercy, his love, his peace, whatever the situation calls for. The bottom line is this. Which of these two anointed men, both anointed, both called to be king, which of the two revealed God to others? Be that man. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Uh, And for the life of David, Lord, I I think the first time I ever read this story, I was like David's men, confused as to why uh, why he didn't just kill Saul. Uh, Because, Lord, that's what's really in our hearts as human beings. Uh, It it would have been justified uh, in, in so many different ways. David was called to be king. Saul was a terrible king. He was brutalizing God's people. He was seeking to murder David. It would have been better all the way around if Saul had been removed. And there he was in the cave. There was the opportunity. And yet David in that moment, Lord, revealed something so profound, so unbelievable. That he understood your heart and he knew that murder, that assassination, that cutting corners could not honor you. And he was willing to submit to many more years of exile and suffering and struggling and restrain his own men but Lord when he did ascend to the king when he became the king he was a great king not that he was perfect he has other episodes that we're going to see but his kingdom was not tarnished by the blood of the previous king he did not ascend by murder or intrigue he ascended by the will of God Lord, I pray for us. Many of us are in difficult circumstances right now. There is some Saul that we're struggling with, maybe on a short-term basis, maybe on a lifelong basis. You promise us that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so I pray, Lord, that in whatever situation we find ourselves, that we could have a tender heart like David did and that we could reveal your love and grace and mercy and forgiveness, your kindness and gentleness. All of those things that Jesus revealed when he was here, Lord, that you reveal to us whenever we come to you. We do pray, Lord, that our testimony would be effective and that those Saul's in our life would come to know you rather than come to a terrible end like King Saul did and that they would come to understand eternal life. We pray for anybody here, Lord, or in the fellowship hall who doesn't know you that as we close they come and pray with the guys, Lord, and say, I thought I was saved. went to church my whole life, was born into a certain religion, but I understand now, Lord, that, that this is a personal relationship with you, that I have to confess my sin and receive you. I pray that you would do that work if there's even one, Lord, here this morning that is outside the kingdom of God. And for the rest of us that we would... Uh, take on the mantle of citizenship, citizens of heaven, that we would act accordingly. And that, just like if we were traveling abroad, Lord, and people would recognize us by our dialect or our look, that as we're out in the world, people would recognize us as you live through us. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.